Hello and welcome back to Tales from the Pit. This is your content warning, although for this episode, it's pretty mild. Bridget Greenberg and I discuss panic attacks, from which we both suffer. Um, But unless your panic attacks are triggered by people describing panic attacks, you should be fine. Panic attacks, while truly horrifying to experience, are not that rough to hear about. So hopefully, you can all give this one a listen. Before we get started, I'm unveiling another short story, this one called The Show Must Go On, which was inspired by, yeah, panic attack. That's the theme, dummy. So I hope you enjoy the story, and if not, you can skip right to the interview at about 25 minutes in. The show must go on. In the darkness of the amphitheater, the every thought was a buzz. They had expected the separation to be traumatic, of course, but they had not expected this. They watched as Unit Cygnus X-1 threw himself against the steel walls of his ship. Peering out from his eyes, feeling from within his body, they observed with concern as he moaned and screeched himself hoarse flopped about on the floor, scrambled back and forth across the cramped chamber as if desperately searching. After an hour of complete hysteria, he simply collapsed onto the floor and began clawing at himself. He left bright, raw scratches across his bare face, chest, and legs. When there was too much flesh jammed beneath his fingernails to continue, he shivered, crumpled, and began to sob. Needless to say, they were upset. Unit Cygnus X-1 had been their most capable component. He had been trained even from before birth for the moment of his inevitable separation from the everythought. Their soothing words had pulsed and radiated through the amniotic fluid in which he had grown, permeating his mind and filling every atom of his being with the foreknowledge of this inexorable event. It had been his destiny and they had whispered it into his ears when those were nothing more than bundles of cells, scarcely functional. How well they remembered it. And yet here he was now, pale, naked, crumpled in the corner of the perfect ship they had built him. The splintered thoughts battling for primacy in his mind were not at all what they had expected. The every thought were of one mind, because they could be no other way, and that mind had predicted a trepidation, a hesitancy, perhaps, but ultimately and finally, a resolute adherence to one's duty, loyalty to man, to earth, to the every thought. Instead, they felt in him only a dull, wriggling fear, a ripple of worry spread across the mass of their minds like the surface of a pond. Was he capable? Would he destroy himself before the proper time? Would the show go on? And it was a show, of course, because that was all that was left to them. Being one, knowing all, there was scarcely anything left in the wide universe to hold them in thrall, to provide the mystery and curiosity a race like man required. Only this last discovery, this last uncharted domain, to which they had sent their brightest part, 
doubt crackled through the core of the every thought. Would he provide the entertainment they had created him for? Would the mysteries of the black hole finally lay open to them? They listened intently. Unit Cygnus X-1 hurt everywhere. The metal floor was like ice, and his scratches stung. His eyes throbbed in time with his heart, drying tears leaving salt on the lids and blurring his vision. His throat felt like a desert, rutted with the strain of shouting at no one. He was alone. He had been alone for weeks now, in some sense. The ship had left Earth and arced away on a mile-long scimitar of plasma. It had carried him, its sole passenger, as far from Earth as any component of the every thought had ever been. He had certainly been alone then physically, but of course, he had not even known what it was to be alone then. For then, his head had been filled with the singular vision and accord of the every thought. He had not been he, but rather a part of a tranquil and harmonious whole, a tiny component of a single mind, his entire mental output but one firing neuron in man's greater brain. He had drifted on the glassy surface of a warm ocean, and his brothers and sisters had floated with him, never touching, but all moving together in a perfect, unbroken consciousness. Swells would come and go, the ocean gently canting in patterns too large for any individual to comprehend, but which, he had faithfully believed, interwove to reveal the right and true path, immense emotional patterns that illuminated the way of a mankind united, transcendent over the petty rivalry of individual egos, a mankind at last made one. It had been warm and dark, now it was cold and bright. He lay still in the ship's cabin and felt every new sensation like an unwelcome slime covering his body. His nose was stuffed, his right elbow was sore, Everything was his, his, his. Where before he had been part of something large and strong, he now felt his weakness acutely, as if he were going to be crushed by a boot at any moment. He tried rolling onto his stomach. The flesh of his belly and groin contracted when it made contact with the freezing cabin floor. Comfort had not been something he cared about before the separation. Now he ached for it. This need made him feel very weak, like an ancient warrior pitted against the black of the infinite universe, armed only with a sharpened stick. No, not even that, he thought. He stood alone in a coliseum of wheeling stars awaiting the first attack of an unknown assailant, and he stood naked. Unit Cygnus X-1 pushed himself off of the ground with his arms and tentatively took to his feet. Some of the panic he had felt earlier was beginning to dissipate. The knot in his stomach had ceased its upward thrusting and instead settled somewhere deeper inside his stomach as an intense dread. He had never thought of life as a battle before, he realized. Then again, he had been a part of something truly strong before, and the truly strong rarely question their own might. He decided to sit down. There was a chair, after all. It was about the only thing that had been provided for him, and he had asked for nothing more. It grew out of the metal floor like a giant crystal, square and sharp at every corner. 
A little needle in one of the arms gave him his food, and a hole in the seat could be opened to accept his waist. There was nothing else in the room. No windows, no doors, only a dull, brushed steel. He didn't even know how large a ship it was, or where he was, or when he would arrive at his destination. He only knew that the end of the journey meant his death, and that the prospect of his ceasing to exist now frightened him in a way that he couldn't have fathomed before. He sat in the chair, freezing cold, feeling it again, and carefully placed an arm on each armrest. Had he really spent the entirety of the long trip in this position? It had felt so comfortable, so right, to sit in silence and stillness, conversing with his fellow thoughts and allowing the machines to do their work. He couldn't imagine that now, sitting still, motionless for days. In fact, he could hardly stand the cabin at all. He glared at the image of himself that the walls reflected back, a brown smear across their gray surface. He blinked. The room seemed to get smaller around him, he wasn't sure where all the light was coming from, but it was blinding. Suddenly, he remembered that he was not, in fact, alone. No, not alone at all. How could he have forgotten? He was still a part of the every thought, still connected. But it was a one-way mirror only now. A voyeuristic arrangement rather than any sort of unity. In truth, he was so much more than merely naked. He was stripped bare pinned open on an autopsy table, organs squirming under inquisitive pokes. When he had been a part of it, a member among billions, equally sharing in the knowledge and experience of mankind, it had been heaven. But now, separate yet still exposed, he felt cheated. Blood rose in his face. He shifted in his seat and felt the metal chair back rub against the three dime-sized nubs running up his spine, where shunts had been inserted. He remembered the gene therapy, behavioral training, drug therapy, all to prepare him for the experience of serving as a one-way radio in flesh, a closed-circuit television camera unto himself. A hundred billion souls were crammed within his skull, observing every thought and physical sensation he had. It must be crowded in there, he thought, and smiled for the first time in his entire life. Standing room only. Unit Cygnus X-1 imagined the Earth slowly revolving within his skull, which was a dark cavern. The planet rotated past two bright viewing screens that were his eyes, and then into darkness, the back of his skull, where mankind peered instead at the thoughts that danced across the curve of his head like flickering shadows cast by a fire. Members of the every thought jostled this way and that on the tiny globe, making sure they soaked up every last detail of his experience. He was a star. Those who could see the ship relayed the images to the others. Those who could not see kept their arms outstretched and eyes closed, canting on the warm sea, waiting to intercept thoughts and relay them to the group. Everyone listened. They were watching him even now, he thought, observing even the images of them that his imagination was now conjuring up. Unit Cygnus X-1 pictured two mirrors inside the cavern, facing one another, so that the image of the earth and the every thought was reflected down into infinity on either side, becoming dimmer and cloudier 
as it moved back into the unreality of a reflection of a reflection of a reflection of a recursive mirror that didn't really exist. He played with his thoughts. He'd never done that before. The ship rocked violently. Unit Cygnus X-1 sprawled headfirst out of the chair and crashed against the floor, knocking the wind out of him. While he struggled to catch his breath, the ship shook again, as if he'd run off of an invisible road and was now barreling down a dirt embankment. It didn't let up, but intensified as he rubbed his sore neck and clambered back to the chair in the middle of the room. The constant sounds of vibrating equipment and intermittent squeals of stressed metal reverberated through the cabin as the ship tried to break itself apart. Unit Cygnus X-1 knew what it meant. His legs wobbled beneath him as he settled back into his seat, far more than he could blame on the turbulence. His heart was pounding, and his breath came short and shallow, though he couldn't tell if that was from the fall or his new physical sensation. He thought perhaps that he was dying. Could one die from fear? He had never felt an emotion so extreme and discordant. His palms slipped on the armrests as he tried to grip them, and a strange buzzing lightheadedness narrowed his vision. How terrible, he thought. How terrible for them if the player were simply to expire before the show even began. If their radio transmitter died moments before the curtain opened, and they sent nothing but a lifeless corpse through the black hole. Because that's what it was, he knew, gripping the armrests again and again. He was nearly there. That's why they had freed him in the first place. He was now riding in a ship with no controls and only one course, without hope of deviation. The every thought had postponed the separation as long as possible, and now he was almost to the black hole. He would get sucked in, spaghettified, to his death, and mankind would watch from inside his brain, watch and applaud and hope to learn something, and at last be secure in their total knowledge of the universe's mysteries. He thought he must die if it kept on like this. The darkness that lay ahead of him and the now alien being that filled his mind worked like a vice, pushing his identity from outside and inside, squeezing him until he thought he must have the life crushed out of him. But he didn't. He didn't die. He just breathed harder and faster and clutched at the seat and felt the hundred billion inside him like a nest of spiders, scrabbling around, pushing at the back of his eyelids. Ahead of him, though he could not see it, the black hole yawned and gaped and waited to rip him into a trillion single atoms and stretch him into nothingness and absorb him forever and ever. Unit Cygnus X-1 made a noise, a dumb animal noise that rose and mingled with the intensifying roar of the ship. He made the noise again and again, and finally stood when the palms of his hands were raw from rubbing the warm metal of the seat. His elbows still ached, his chest still stung. His throat and lungs were on fire now, and the faster he breathed, the more his head began to tingle. The ship started to lurch. He stumbled around the cabin, wrapping his arms around himself, steadying himself against a wall when he had to. He could almost feel the lewd anticipation of the crowd inside him. They leaned forward obscenely in their seats, Romans awaiting the lion. The lights in the cabin seemed brighter than ever. It would come soon. 
He would die, he thought. He would die, he would die, he would die, he would die forever, stuck between two mirrors forever. He would watch himself grow dimmer and cloudier and die a thousand times, a million times. The brown smear on the walls followed his every movement, mocking him. It would scream and die as well, the whole ship, the whole of everything, everything he thought, everything he knew, him alone, a solitary object, alone, alone, solitary, individual, attached to no one and nothing. Unit Cygnus X-1 stopped and collapsed against the steel wall. He was flushed and moaning, his arms wrapped around himself. His mind was spinning so quickly, he thought the people riding the tiny earth must be thrown against the inside of his skull and liquefied. The lights in the cabin seemed to intensify further still, but they were no longer blinding. When they started to flash red in futile warning, he almost laughed. A warning, really. Then, suddenly, he did laugh. He chuckled, then giggled. Then, without knowing why, he was guffawing, loudly, hysterically, tears streaming out of his eyes. Unit Cygnus X-1 could barely catch his breath, he was laughing so hard. He rolled around on the floor and pounded the ground with his feet and grinned uncontrollably, so wide his jaw ached. He let out a long breath and lay flat on his back, staring up at the naked, spread eagle, now brown, now red smear on the ceiling, and feeling the ship vibrate beneath him. He felt warm. He had never been so much of his body as he was right now, when he was about to be ripped out of it. And that was funny, too. Each sting, each ache, was his. His. Something that used to feel like a curse, but now felt like a point of pride. Each breath he took kept him alive, a few seconds longer. The every thought of man was in him like a fungus, and yet they were separate. They were one, and they were not him. He was one, and he was him. One and one equals. The every thought were enemies. The black hole was an enemy. He was alone in the pit of a cosmic coliseum, stars wheeling around him, and he would have to fight soon, and he would lose but it would be his loss and his death alone. He would put on a grand show, he thought, and he would not be back for a curtain call, no matter how much they ovated. The ship rocked a final time, then broke apart and was gone. For a bare second, Unit Cygnus X-1 was floating in endless space, grinning at the gallery of gently canting stars all around him, and then the lion pounced. There was pain, and he screamed, but the pain flared for only a microsecond before he was spun into the hole like a spiderweb on the breeze. This last act of the show proved to be truly special. The every thought crowded themselves together to witness the death of their brother as he approached the black hole, thoughts and feelings lost to mankind for eons ripped through his mind. The every thought followed along in lockstep, inhaling those heady sensations like a drug. They rode each violent crest of fear and trough of despair. 
They made love as one atop the mountain of experience his absurd sacrifice brought them. They felt the depths of despair, the heights of ecstatic joy. It was erotic in its intimacy, daring and powerful in its simple force. They all agreed. It was the show of the century. The every thought huddled even closer as Unit Cygnus X-1 collapsed. It was almost time now, they thought. They felt his fear, wrestled with his sudden laughter. What did it mean? From whence did it come? They would analyze it for eons. They felt the queasy laughter welling in them, felt it as their own. It was a memory they would revisit, they knew. They would live the death of Unit Cygnus X-1 a thousand times marvel at it as their greatest undertaking and masturbate to the gaudy brutality of it all. Unit Cygnus X-1 was the right man for the job, they smirked. We should not have doubted. They foamed at the mouth and danced and groped desperately at one another in their fear and joy and heat and lust. And then, finally, the climax came. And when it came, Unit Cygnus X-1 screamed and they screamed with him, all of them, because they were as one, and they thought as one that the end was coming. They felt it, that the lights would dim and they would applaud politely and shuffle their feet and put on their coats and wander back out to the street and home to the warm and canting sea. But the show did not end. Instead, the every thought watched and felt as the first particles of Unit Cygnus X-1 were stripped from him. Single atoms, tiny snowflakes, shot toward the unknown heart of the black hole. They watched and felt as more and more of him separated in a beautiful train, lined up single file, and slid down towards an unbelievable blackness. They screamed, in his fear, and writhed in his pain, but it would not end. Like a man being electrocuted, the every thought clung convulsively to the source of their pain. They were fused to Unit Cygnus X-1's tortured body, lashed to his senses with no hope of escape until his death. And that death seemed less and less imminent as they watched him slow. Where he should have fallen into the darkness at speeds beyond reckoning. Instead, Unit Cygnus X-1 slowed to a stop, floating, mouth tight in an obscene grin, stars reflected in his eyes. The members of the Every Thought screamed in the intolerable pain of depressurization, felt their bodies explode from the inside and be ripped away into the intense gravity well, over and over. At first, they simply reeled with the pain, unable to understand what had happened. A thousand years later, it dawned on them, as one, because things could dawn on them no other way, and they knew instantly that it meant the end of mankind. As Unit Cygnus X-1 shot faster and faster toward his death, as the every thought fell after him, chained to him in their writhing pain, the flow of time dilated, slowed, and began to crawl. For him, it was over. For him, death had come in the blink of an eye. But for them, sitting stationary at relativistic speeds on Earth, and yet living his experience, 
The incredible light speed of his plummeting body meant that the blink of an eye would take millennia. The faster they went, the slower they would move, and the longer their screams would continue to be torn from their hundred billion throats. The every thought felt as one, the crushing, undeniable horror of relativity. In the darkened amphitheater of man, Unit Cygnus X-1 was not dead. He was dying. And it was a dying that stretched out before them like a ribbon a million miles long, a climax that would last eons, a pain that would never end. It was dread and tragedy, sturm and drang. It was sardonic justice, and it showed. It showed in his eyes, eyes that they would have their whole lives to admire. They all agreed. It was the greatest death scene ever performed on the cosmic stage, and their chorus of endless screams, the ovations of the every thought, would rise from the earth in praise of that performance like the thick smoke of a funeral pyre forever and ever. And still, Unit Cygnus X-1 floated, face fixed in a grin. We passed a ton of, like, dudes with giant fuck-off beards and yeah. black suspenders driving a horse and carriage that is, to a cornfield. Who knows where Mennonites are, you know? <laughs> or where they go. Or, or like, they how they disperse. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, when I lived in Philly, they were everywhere, and it was, like, my first experience with Mennonites, and mm-hmm. I was just like, where, why are you in Philadelphia? Why yeah. are you in urban Philly? <laughs> I also felt so ignorant because I was like, are Mennonites different than Amish? And then a man who's lived his yeah. whole life in Dangrika, Belize, yeah. who speaks Spanish, French, Creole, perfect English, and ancient Maya, explained to me the difference between Mennonites and Amish. And I'm like, I should know that already, right? Like, I know. Yeah. I don't know the difference. But they're just so... Belize, especially because the national language is English. It's the only country in South America where that's true. Interesting. So all the kids... And there's like a crazy culture mix there. Right. Um, there's the Garifuna, which are the descendants of African tribes who, when the slave trade started, right. literally were like, fuck this. And just. And got on ships and left Africa not knowing where they'd end up and land in. In Belize. In South America, the coast right. of South America. They call themselves the Garifuna and they have their own separate language. They learn English, Spanish, French, Creole, and like. It's insane. I did not know the cultural, like, wonder that is Belize. And then if someone's descended of the Maya, they usually know that language. And there's three different Maya languages that are all completely different. You have to learn from scratch. You went on, like, a anthropological dig in Belize. Yeah. Um, So scoot in. Yeah. We're, well, both Jen and I are good students and we absorb shit. We find it enjoyable, which I think also uh, the locals were... It, which is sad to me. <laughs> they were shocked. That you Like, were... we climbed through a cave where you got to see the actual remains that have not been disturbed for thousands of years of people that the Maya cut the spines out of and, like, ate the hearts of. Like, you can see the My... hole in their chest and shit. And they tell you all about, like, 
It's not like boring school shit. No, that's amazing. Right. While you're standing I mean, there, they tell you about like, these are the nine gods of the underworld, Shabalba, and all the shit that they do. Yeah. And you're like, this is awesome. And literally every time our guide was like, really? You think that's awesome? Usually when I come in here, people say, I'm tired. Can we turn back early? Or please stop talking so we can just enjoy ourselves. We're like, what? That's insane. It's stupid. Yeah, fuck everyone. You see a skeleton <laughs> with a hole cut out of its chest. You want you to know that know story. What, what What is that story? And the story is, <laughs> um, they didn't eat for two days. Then they went into this cave, lit fires, did an enema comprised of fermented honey until it's like meat or right. alcohol, uh, ground up magic mushrooms, which we would call yeah. today. I don't know what they call yeah. it. And the pineal gland of those frogs that you like to get high all ground up into a mash shoved up your ass after you haven't eaten for two days. Then you cut your dick open, (laughs) bleed into a jar until it's full, burn the blood, inhale the smell while you pass razor wire up and down your tongue over and over. (laughs) Then you pull out the sacrifice who's usually a captive of an enemy tribe and cut their heart out with a spoon by ramming it into their chest over and over till you get to their heart and then you eat their heart. That sounds like the first season of True Detective. And people were like, I'm sorry, this is boring. Can you just stop? Like, I didn't come here to learn. Well, yeah, those people are weak. You just don't want to hear that story. Exactly. Wait, so they did that to their captives. They just got them like super fucked. In fact, at this, no, they did it to themselves. They did that to them. The captive was, but... The captive was the person they... The pet captive was dead. Captive they was ended dead. up even eating a lot of the captive, yes, but they, from my understanding, from the guide at least, right. if I'm correct and they're correct, right. um, and they showed us artifacts of this, is they had obsidian axes and they would, they'd kill you. Like they'd right. crush your skull with one blow, right? then cut your heart out and eat it. Yeah. So unlike Temple of Doom, it's actually more humane than Temple of Doom shows. Yes. Where you like claw their heart out with your hand. With your hand, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a quick death for them, but a painful process for the people who got to live. Yeah. Well, they underwent a dust. You know how we yeah. had the dust bowl like grapes around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It lasted for like, I don't know, 25 years at the most. I think it's less than that. But so all these like Mayans just had like mangled dicks? Yeah. Kind of. Well, they would cut, they'd slice down the road, not across, if you know okay, what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I imagine they had... Yeah, my s- people do the across. <laughs> I imagine they had really scarred up dicks. Yeah. Possibly still functional, though. They didn't cut them off. Right. <laughs> I, like, I, yeah. I just... Like, all the way down? Well, the decision... Well, so they had a dust bowl that lasted centuries. Right. And that's when the civilization kind of fell apart. People abandoned a lot of the cities. They lost faith that because they had the devout belief that their king right. was a god. Yes. Because they'd descend into this cave and talk to the rain god and be like, the rain's going to come this winter. Right. And it always did. And everyone was like, I guess the system works. <laughs> but for 30 years in a row, they say the rain's going to come and the rain doesn't come. Right. And they're like, this is all bullshit. And a bunch of people moved away from the big cities. And then... They started taking desperate measures. So that's when you start think, seeing things like right. people. they believed caves were literally the portal into the underworld and you're not allowed there. But they're like, shit is hard times. We got to try throw everything against right? the wall. I'm going to send a crack team of Czech Maya warriors into the underworld. And they believe there are like seven or nine levels. And they're like, you got to get to level six, take these drugs and cut your dicks and bleed. Because that's going to bring the underworld god of rain back to life. It must be like dying. Yeah. And you have to nurture it and bring it back to life so the rain will come. 
Jesus fucking Christ. It's rad. That's intense. <laughs> and they're all just like delusional and hungry too. Yeah. I don't know. I just came from there. Yeah. And our guide still believes in that religion. So oh, you don't, yeah, delusional yeah. seems strong to me. But Right, right. Delusional because of the hunger, not because of oh, yeah. oh, what, yeah. they're, what they're... But I'll also say... In the abstract, true philosophical sense, I think Christianity is delusional, and that's right. right. I mean, so you know, it's the same. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's. But it was interesting that there's like about 1,500 people in the country that still, yeah, literally give burn offerings, not people because they know they'd go to jail, but livestock and like their best crops and shit and burn them right to these ancient Maya gods. Whereas I don't think anyone in Egypt is like worshiping Ra anymore. I mean, I can't say for sure, but. I haven't heard of that. I, yeah. I feel like we would know. And I know that no one in Greece and Rome is like, yeah, still. Zeus and Aphrodite <laughs> aid me right. through my gallstone operation. Yeah. It's because uh, when I was in Israel and they were talking about like Judaism before it was rabbinic Judaism that we know mm-hmm. now, it's very similar to that. So we were like oh. on top of ru- like these ruins and they're like, yeah, they would have people do this hike you just did for fun uh, yeah. up there to kill them and then roll, throw their bodies into the dead sea. And also, aren't they like, also, if anyone saw you in this area, they'd be like, kill her. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You're not allowed to go here. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Uh, and it's crazy. And they were talking like when uh, the Western Wall was built, like that mm-hmm. kind of Judaism was still very, It's it was not different than the Mayan. Like there were secret rooms where they would like make sacrifices. And I know, and yeah, yeah, livestock sacrifices were common. Yeah. Judaism never, there was never a primitive form of Judaism that worshipped like God of rain and God of sun and God of dreams. No, though, it was, was there? Okay. Uh, maybe there was, maybe before. Uh, a maybe, predecessor. It would have been before the Exodus, before right. the Ten Commandments, the people who called them Jews. Because that's when we were like, there's that's one. That's number one, is that, there's yeah. one and fuck all the right. others. Right, I think yeah. before that Judaism was... Yeah, like more what you would think of like an ancient like Mayan kind, yeah, pantheon of gods. Right, yeah. yeah it was, and then after ex- the Exodus, that's when they're like, "There's one now." And uh, let's it's interesting all be that cool. everyone boiled it down to one. I guess because civilization learns more, and you feel like. By the way, welcome right. to Tales from the Pit, Bridget Greenberg. Oh, uh, thank here. you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to the worst parts of your life, right? But I'm fascinated. But, but first, we're talking about the worst parts of. I guess well, religion and my I vacation guess. Yeah, and your vacation. Uh, small beans is all about asides. Yeah, and we're fine with that. So buckle the fuck in. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. There is a topic that's pre-planned. Yeah. But I want to ask. Uh, this is funny because in the yeah. last podcast, I also asked like, "Hey, people who believe in religion out there, right? Explain to me why." Yeah. Why. Yeah. But uh, I feel like as everyone figured out, oh, the sun is this thing and it right. does this everything boiled down to, well, there's just a God and it's of of stuff we don't know. And there's a ton of stuff we don't know. Right. Is there a life after life? Where were we before? Who created the universe? Is there any consciousness or none? Right. Is everything connected or not? How did, why is it this instead of any other kind of universe? Like what the fuck is going on? Um, so you make God just be like, I guess that's whoever knows all that. Right. (laughs) It's easier than like one person controlling everything. It's just easier to wrap your head around or like a bunch of people. That just got hard to keep track of. You know, that's what I'm wondering. (laughs) I want to hear from our Hindu friends because Hinduism seems like the last major religion that's like, no, everything has a soul. Fuck you guys. There's like (laughs) a million gods. We think it's awesome. (laughs) And it is pretty cool. It's cool. Oh, that's Uh, like it's like really I love studying religions and Hinduism's awesome. 
Um, but I'm wondering from devout Hindus, uh, thoughts on like, do you think monotheism like those fucking idiots? Yeah. (laughs) That's so stupid. I mean, I I don't know. Maybe we're talking from like a very Western centric point of view, which which we must be. Cop to it. Uh, right. Cop to it. <laughs> right. We're like, yeah, the three major Abrahamic religions mm-hmm. are all, you know, tied oh, yeah. through monotheism. And I think that is That's kind true. of the lens we're viewing it through. And there are millions like, of other religions. Yeah. If you that started don't. asking me Shinto, I would right. crap out. I, yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Confucius was part of that. Maybe I'm wrong. And you know, I'm going to check you my, on your racism there and yeah, your ignorance. <laughs> I took a religions class in high school once. Me too. And, it was uh, fun. Yeah. It was cool. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, who yeah. knows what happened? You know, I think I absorbed some of it. Yeah. And maybe I was racist just now. No, no, no. You're good. Um, I want to fill you with love and validation. Thank you. Here we go. Here we go. Let's dive I in. I want to... Um, First of all, point out how appropriate it is as the host of our in-network show, Rough right. Stuff. <laughs> um, you haven't talked about anxiety. Other people have spoken to about, you yeah. about anxiety very generously. I Yeah, I force people to... You've mostly used sports, sports metaphors to mock them. I know. And then apologized. <laughs> and then yeah. feel really bad about it, which I think if... Uh, you think about the broader thing I'm doing there is my anxiety showing sure. itself. That well, so you're here to talk about your relationship yeah. with anxiety and sort of level the playing field. Yeah. And I do think, uh, I, I think I've dropped hints about, uh, I, about my earliest panic attack experiences. That's uh, true. And you've yeah. mentioned embarrassing things yeah. fucking left and right. Left and like right. a pile yeah. of them. <laughs> it's but incredible. you never know you never know if that person is necessarily panicking. Right. Because I think the unique thing about anxiety is you can know people who are in the hardest of circumstances right. and are like, I don't know, I just never panicked. I guess I'm lucky. Yeah. And people are like, and this is me. So I'm taking right. full like And my life is just a moment to moment panic. Ten, yeah. Like ten minutes before you got here. Why won't this power cord right. untangle? I'm pulling on the end. Fuck. Oh, life <laughs> yeah. is shit. Oh, my God. Right. Yeah. It, it happens so quickly. Like, yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. I'm just like, why am I sweating so much? It was two seconds, and yes. it's fine, and then just sweat. But, yeah, I think also, I, it was like, because when I, I wasn't diagnosed I don't know why I put air quotes around that for people who saw that. I wasn't. For the record, Bridget has used the classic finger air quotes yeah. sign. <laughs> I, I didn't have to tell you guys that, but I'm being generous here. Uh, I wasn't like diagnosed and got on medication and started seeing people for anxiety until college. Okay. Um, but then once that happened and. I, I was looking back and I was like, how did we not catch this? Throughout my entire life, I've been oh. obviously an anxious wreck. Uh, I do think there was a time, and even now we're almost yeah. overcompensating, where people are like, all right, the kid is a little, they right. like sugar and they're running around. Don't put them on drugs before their brain is fully right. formed. But there was a period where it was the opposite, where we're like, I don't know. My kid's just a jerk. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing is like, I was 21, 22 at that time. It was like enough time has passed where I'm an adult now. Yeah. And we've looked back on my childhood and it's like, I, I think I told the story in rough stuff and I'll probably reiterate some of the like That's things I've dropped. Uh, but like 
And then one of my earliest panic attacks that my parents like still talk and laugh about, and it is funny, was, <laughs> it's objectively funny, was my mom, I was at a Chuck E. Cheese, mm-hmm. and we were playing around in those like hamster tubes. Yeah, this is creepy could, already, so you're justified. Yeah, I mean, it's already a terrifying environment. It's a 22-year-old person with no background yeah. check and a costume yeah. touching kids. That's yes. all I'm saying. It's And like... <laughs> Is this story we were like you know they have those like hamster tubes that kids just crawl yeah. around in. Uh, I freaked out because I thought I was trapped. I wasn't. There's no way to get trapped in those. There's one direction to go. <laughs> right, right. I just like all of a sudden in the middle of it freaked out, and my mother. I was like I had to be five at the time. This is one of my earliest memories. And my mother had to crawl and get me yes. through the tubes because I was just full like yeah. frozen panicking. And I was like that's not a. I like we to I like to imagine it. them unbolting it in a helicopter, <laughs> yeah. lifting that section of I mean, tube out. I guarantee you my mother before she started crawling through the tubes were like, Can they do that? Right. <laughs> I guarantee she's like anything to or not can have these a grown minimum woman. wage McDonald's workers. Right. Is it can I is it fair for me to impose upon them? Yeah. Can you just go yeah. push my daughter right. through the so end of the a, tube? Yeah, grown yeah. woman didn't have to crawl through the tube, but she's uh, a wonderful mother. Well, and she's going to drop into the filthy, filthy ball pit. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just please. But uh, no, she's she's a wonderful parent. So she uh, yeah. crawled through the tube and helped me out. But it was like, you should have figured yeah. something was wrong. Not to blame her. <laughs> Or bl- I don't want to blame them. You're like, I- were the other kids doing whirlwinds inside <laughs> right. the tube and <laughs> yeah. screaming? Yeah. Did anybody else have just a breakdown in front of a tube? You just lying your back and like horse kick yeah. the side of the tube as it yeah. cracks. Yeah. It's like that. And there were like so many other times. I, I think one of my like, that was, I was very young at that point. So that it's probably a memory. I remember getting stuck mm-hmm. and freaking out. But like, I don't remember. My mom has told me like the crawl through the tube part. Uh, I always wonder what I remember an imaginary version of right. because I've been told it so many times. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, there's. I'm sure there's something, but I do like specifically remember freaking out. Right, right, And that right. was the first time I've like Scarred real panic has set in for me. And then like, I think I I was nine at the time and I know that for sure. And I have also talked about this stuff, but one of my first like major, major panic attacks that I will never forget was in a Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum okay. in uh, St. Augustine, Florida. These are places that children love that as adults oh, yeah. you realize are creepy. Are so maybe you were just, because they're like... I think I'm the only smart one. Your perceptive <laughs> child, you're like... Yeah. These wax simulacrum of humans are oh, creepy as fuck. Yeah. yeah. No, I remember exactly where I was too, because also it was packed. This Is place it the was, LA? The no, no, it was uh, oh, okay. it was the original one, and oh, this was shit. Uh, which the first like museum, which was in Florida, okay, uh, northern Florida. We were doing like a road trip. I think I was getting dropped off from summer camp in North Carolina or to summer camp in North Carolina, and we mm-hmm. just stopped at. Uh, halfway through, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is St. Augustine, Florida, which is like near the panhandle. And uh, yeah, we they're like, there's a school museum. And it was packed. Like it was literally shoulder to shoulder people just like sliding through. So that wasn't great. Yeah. Uh, and then I remember we were at this exhibit and this man had turned himself into a snake via tattooing and uh-huh. like split his tongue. Was uh, he there physically or are you talking about No, no, about it was like an exhibit. Panel, yeah, right? it was yeah. like an exhibit of him and there was a video and I was like, I, was, I've seen a bunch of freaky shit leading up to this. I'm crowded shoulder to shoulder with strangers. And then that happened and I was yeah. like, I was like, I need to get out of here right now. Yeah. And started just like fully like hyperventilating, could, like couldn't see 
Uh, <laughs> see. Couldn't see. That happens okay. to me during panic. Like my vision gets completely blurred. Uh, oh. I have to like find a like wall and a place yeah. to sit to like till that goes away. Nice. That's definitely. Yeah. That will make that our next topic. Yeah. But I want you to finish your hilarious story. My hilarious yeah. story about having a fan- About going blind. About out going- of fear. And I was just like holding up. My mom's like, all right, we're getting out of here. And just like full mom strength. Uh, mm. She's coming off like a superhero right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just like elbowing people to get her like sweating, yeah. crying, panicking, child, blind child <laughs> through this Ripley's Believe It or Not. And they're, she was just like went to a worker and like, do you have any like escape route? Like just like a uh, emergency like a exit. baby door. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like my child's clearly a little bitch. I <laughs> ruined my family waited for about two and a half hours yeah. to go to the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland, which is an awesome ride. Yeah. Uh, the opening week when it was a big deal, which right. is why it took two and a half hours. And the line with like the fake like darts blowing right. at you yeah. and skulls and snakes. I took the crybaby door and made uh, my whole family miss it. So they'll uh, never let me live that down. Yeah. See, my mom did it. <laughs> and I will never forgive my brother and my dad who like we found the door. They gave us the exit door and we we're just waiting in the gift shop for them to, you know, mm-hmm. have their good time and walk through this museum. And the exit and I remember going through this myself mm-hmm. on my hands and knees because you had to take their exit, which was one of those like walkways and yeah. then a big spinning tube around it. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. a fun house. Right. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's just a whole nightmare for someone who is. And at the end, panic. there's a snake guy who's going. Right. Yeah. Who's going to. again yeah. soon. Yeah. Who's going to like <laughs> lick me with his yeah. split tongue. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Lick on the cheek if you want to return later in the yeah. day. <laughs> but yeah, I crawled through that on my hands and knees because I was just like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. And then I just remember waiting. We waited like half an hour to 45 minutes for my brother and my dad to stop enjoying themselves through this Ripley's, which they had every right to. Uh, yeah. It just seemed shitty to me at the time. But I do want to point out if you've never been, I'm a big fan of Ripley's. Oh, I yeah, have super the book. Cool. Yeah. I read it in the bathroom. <laughs> Um, but like, I do think they're spread thin location wise. Yes. And what I mean by that is they will cut There's many of them. And if you go in one eight tenths or I guess four fifths then yeah. of the <laughs> exhibits will be a panel with good illustrations right. and shit saying in this other Ripley's museum, a yeah. thousand miles away, right on the other side of the country, there's a snake dude and yeah. he is there and he yeah. has a split tongue and he does shows. Um, this is information about him. Yeah. It's very like educational. It, yeah, it yeah. is. And they're cool. And I recognize that, but man, <laughs> I'll never go back. Uh, and then, yeah, so they, we waited like 45 minutes for my brother and my dad and they just came out laughing, having the best time. And they kept like, I am sitting there uh-huh. like, did cr- you believe it, son? I did pop. I did. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they had we're a, closer than we've ever great been. Great memories yeah. for them. They had such a father son bonding experience and they were going through that tube and they had, su- I was like sitting there like, we need to get out of here. I'm having the worst day of my life. And they just like kept, they thought the tube thing was so fun. And they kept like running back and forth. They're like, let's do it again. Let's do it again. And my mom's just like, what the fuck? Well, you know what I'd love, Paul, is if I were blind in this tube. That's yeah. the only way it could be improved upon. Yeah, I'm sure that's real fun when you can see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was uh, my first like vivid panic attack experience. And then we moved on for years and was like, that wasn't weird. Yeah. You know, that happens to Bridget sometimes. Okay. Uh, All right, so cut the shit. Okay. <laughs> no, no. What's uh? I do want to ask because it's one of the recurring themes yeah. of this show. 
you mentioned blindness. Yeah. Uh, and this is also my first time talking about panic attacks, which yeah. I have in addition to depression. So yeah. I will. Uh, so we'll compare notes a little yeah. bit. But I want to know what. Can you just straight up so people can go like, oh, I'm like that, too, or not? Right. That's interesting. What is a panic attack, like, attack like for you? How long does it last? What symptoms are there? Yeah. Um, every time I tell uh, like doctors and therapists how long my panic attacks last, they're like, oh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> and they were only like five to seven minutes. Okay. Um, which I am told is long. Mine uh, are like one to three. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. For it, it's a, I know it's going to happen too when it starts happening. Like I just, you're for me and I imagine it's different from everybody, uh, for other people. But for me, for like, and maybe I'm starting the clock early for the first couple minutes. I'm like, you're about to have a panic attack. You need to calm the fuck down, Bridget. Like, and just like super hyper aware of my surroundings. And like, there's too many okay. people. There's this many people. You need to calm down. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And then there's Does a- your brain do the layering thing where you're like, what kind of person has a panic attack? Right. There's no reason oh, to have a panic yeah. attack. Does that mean there's something deficient about you? Yeah. Oh shit. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's, it like just builds up to like, why are you being weird right now, Bridget? Why are you being so fucking You got to cut it the fuck out right, right now. You got to cut it the fuck look out. Look at all these people. Look at the, yeah. all these people being fucking normal and they're, yeah. yeah. And it's, and you're being weird and like, yeah, just what, and then like the sweat start, mm-hmm. I'll just like, mm-hmm. just start sweating. And then like, you know, when you like, if you just think about breathing, you're like, oh, how to in, out, in, out, and then it becomes really weird. It's, yeah. it's that I'm just like, okay, breathe. And then I focus too much on like how to breathe and mm-hmm. like forget. And then it, that's when like, okay, you need to sit down because the vision starts getting blurred. I also am a big believer in, but unable to meditate and be present yeah so my brain always inevitably goes like you got to focus on your breath yeah but if you're thinking the phrase focus on your breath are you truly present because your brain's processing words yeah wait i stopped breathing like what the fuck is going on exactly it it is that it's just you're thinking you're like you know you need to calm yourself down you're an intellectual and smart enough person to know the steps you need to take to do that yeah but you're thinking way too much about it (laughs) to be able to physically do it yeah, so, like, vision gets blurred, and I'll just, like, if I'm around people, I'll just be like, I gotta go. And then, like... <laughs> <laughs> like Randy Marsh from yeah, South Park. I, yeah, exactly. I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, like, I go to the bathroom now. <laughs> and just leave and, like, have to find a place where I can sit, like, stump, like, full-on just, like, shoulder people and, yeah. like, try to find a place as my vision gets blurry and blurrier. And okay. then, like, once once I'm, like... Are you sure you haven't knocked your glasses off and you're confused? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just contacts fall yeah, out. Okay. That's mostly what my panic attacks are. <laughs> sure. Uh, I can't see. Uh, but, yeah, so I'll... Yeah, then, I mean, now I know how to deal with them. Yeah. And just, like, okay, you need to find oh. a place to... Not, I mean, they still... No, have, I mean, that's... The, but, yeah. I mean, that's natural next topic, unless right. there's more symptoms... No, Wetting it's just the like pants, shitting yeah. the pants, anything the, like that. There, <laughs> no, I do not shit myself okay. proudly. Uh, uh, I'm not a shit my pants person, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll have to like find it. dealing with it. It's like, like it a will dark, happen. calm place to calm down. Yeah, we'll just need to be able to like take a minute, sit down, <laughs> regain my vision, and just like breathe it out for another like minute or two. Okay, uh, so you say you deal with it, and that's the next phase of like what I want to get into. What have you tried that did work? Didn't work. Um, it sounds like you are able to focus on your breath. 
to, I yeah. sometimes get to that point, but I always wonder if did I succeed in something or yeah. did the panic attack is just that long and it's fading away well, that's, now? I mean, <laughs> yeah, when I said deal with it, I think it's just like the the actual symptoms of panic attacks can only last for Abate so long. Eventually. Right. But like it's Cause not because it, you're very active and like yeah. sports oriented. Yeah. I'm like. Maybe just because you're in better shape than me, <laughs> you have a higher capacity for a yeah. panic attack to last longer. Yeah, I'm naturally like, my heart rate's lower. So. I'm going to eat some Cheetos after this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I think, uh, yeah, when I said like deal with it, I'm like, well, it's going to go away whether I do this or not. And this but what is are just you like, thinking? What do you try physically and mentally? Um, I just need to get away from whatever situation I'm in. Like normally when I have panic attacks, it's around... I'm in some sort of crowd. I'm at like a party okay. or there is a big, like it's happened a lot to me at concerts and at like other venues where there's just a lot of people. That is mm-hmm. mostly the times it happens to me. So I do need a, like I'll walk outside of the party and just like walk a block away and like <laughs> sit down right. on a curb somewhere okay. or just like find, like go to the bathroom and just like sit um, for a while. And just like, yeah. I just, it's just removing myself from the situation from the, for a little bit. Whatever the trigger is, but for you, it's right. crowds. Yeah. 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 Uh, is, so uh, is it just like a cost benefit analysis? Cause obviously, or I imagine yeah. you've gone to concerts and parties right. after knowing this. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. But you know, it's a distinct possibility. Yes. Uh, what makes it worthwhile? Well, Here's uh, something I've learned specifically with now that I'm older. Uh, and one, it's how comfortable am I at this uh, cra- with this crowd of people mm-hmm. is a big thing. And then what I will then partake in at the party. Because gotcha. what I've learned about myself through probably too much trial and error uh, was if I am in a large crowd like a concert or a party... And then I smoke weed uh, and I get high. Double paranoia. (laughs) That's when like I will spiral. If I, yeah, if I. Sorry, I I got a cold in Belize. (laughs) Cool. True shit. Cool. Wait, am I bragging? Yeah, yeah, you are bragging. Yeah. Yeah, So I got sick in Belize. Yeah, I just got sick in Belize. Exotic germs infest my nasal passages even now. Yeah. (laughs) Cool, man. Yeah, I drank the water in Mexico once and I have not stopped shitting. I was just trying to excuse the fact that I'm too lazy to cut out the sound of me coughing. So please continue. I I was trying to be professional. uh, But yeah, uh, through too much trial and error, I had learned, like, if I'm at a party or a concert, like, I can't smoke there. Like, I. Gotcha. That is. It will all crash in on me. Reggae real festival, quick. no good. For no, you. oh yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I can't do that anymore because I know that's like immediate route to panic attack. Sure. Um, and they're just pe- like I know situations so avoid. It will still happen. Like it's not. It's it's in my life. It's not anything that I'm ever gonna fully avoid. But I know things to do that will be like, that's a surefire route for bad times for Bridget. Uh, I should say this more on this show. I'm not a mental health professional, but so at the risk of giving advice, I'm not licensed to give. Yeah. I do feel, and I wonder if you feel that accepting that it's a part of who you are and realizing that everyone has crosses to bear. Right. Does make it easier because there's both anxiety 
and anxiety about anxiety. Yes. Because there's all kinds of stories and it's statistically true. They're like, stress will kill you. Oh, now I'm stressed. Right. That I'm going to die early because I'm yeah. stressed. Okay, great. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, some of that like tertiary stress I found has faded with me getting better at realizing that, yeah, I'm going to die. Everyone's yeah. going to die. And before that, if you're lucky to live a long time, a bunch of your body parts will start stop yeah. working. Uh, yeah, you're bra- like sometimes your brain just freaks out on you. It's okay. Uh, it happens but like to there's people. lots of times I'm lucky enough that right. most of the time I have the capacity to enjoy what I'm doing. Well, that's worth it. Like I'd re-up subscription right. to that. So just keep going and yeah. like try not to stress about your stress. There's already enough stress. Right. Yeah. I mean, when it gets to the point of a panic attack, you're not going to stop that is that what is I a, figure. I feel like it's a physical event where your stress becomes like yeah. in control of your I, yeah. faculties. Yeah, That is, I mean, panic attacks are the most extreme symptom of anxiety. They're not like the end all be all. I think everybody, even if you don't have an anxiety issue, m- could get them. That's a great point because uh, they overlap a lot, but not always. So right. we shouldn't assume it, that. Yeah. It's like you could, it's the same thing with, you can go through a period where you're depressed and not have depression. Uh, right. Uh, Especially if there's like a trigger you understand and it makes sense and right. then it fades away. You probably don't have clinical major recurring depression. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it's a thing that can happen to of people. Course. Yeah. And that's, that's panic attacks. Jen is mildly depressed because the trip was so <laughs> okay. good. Yeah. And her job right now sucks balls, but she can't quit because she right. has X number of hours to fill yeah. to get her licensure for her goals and right. life. Yeah. So it's like, just, I got depressed in the last week of summer vacation. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's doesn't mean you got to hop on the yeah, Prozac that, train. <laughs> right. Exactly. There's things that happen to you. So when I talk about panic attacks, they happen to me because of, the, but that's not like right. what my day to day with anxiety is. Do you feel that? You have a lot of ambient anxiety or are you saying no, actually you, I do. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. It overlaps a lot. Yeah. You're not saying it doesn't. <laughs> no, it, it overlaps quite a bit. Uh, that's just like the most, that's the most problematic part. And the part where I'm like, I probably need medicine for the, well, I need right. to take something or yeah. talk to someone or do something about this. Cause it was happening so frequently. Yes. Uh, at like my worst parts of anxiety. How frequently is what you, um, the period you're talking about? The period I was talking about, I was probably having some, if not a major panic attack, some sort of like, like minor near panic. Near miss, yeah, where like, like crest, but it doesn't climax. Where, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, probably like once or twice a week. Oh, um, that's pretty frequent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that was the period in college where I was like, okay, I need to do something about this because I can't. <laughs> Uh, are you far enough from it or have, do you feel like, or is it unknowable? I don't know. Have you settled on your own theory of why that period was so difficult? I mean, college is crowded, right? But is it also the, you know, first time being an adult out in the world, that stuff or what? Um, yeah, it's, I can put my finger on it pretty well because it is similar to, it is, has a lot to do with what you said. I was, Mm uh, I came back from my junior I need to explain my college a little bit. Uh, I went to a school called Drexel in Philadelphia, which is great. Uh, And what they did is uh, we went on a co-op program, Mm -hmm. which is essentially instead of uh, going to class, uh, you just get a job for six months. Oh, okay. Um, And then before that... Now called Sea Org. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sea Org. Uh, I signed a million-year contract. (laughs) 
and I captained Ooh, the ship. You got yeah. off easy. I think it's yeah. a trillion year contract. Really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> God. Beyond your yeah. death and the death of the sun. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like in, yeah, to the existence of the universe. Mm. Uh, uh, but yeah, so I w- went to sea. Uh, well, I, I did co op for six months go before Eagles. that. Yeah. Uh, go birds. Uh, before <laughs> that, uh, I was on a summer program which also took me out to LA. So I was in LA working and like living here mm. in the middle of college for nine months. Oh, and that's, yeah, yeah, for a long time. We, and it was great. It was, uh, oh. it was actually a really good period in my life because uh, I met a lot of people. It's actually a roundabout way of how I got into Cracked. Sure. Um, but I've always, but working your way through college yeah. must be... It, yeah, I was tiring and stressful. It was ti- but you, I didn't have to take classes. So I, I oh. felt, yeah. Oh, it was a break in between. It was, okay. yeah, there are no classes. I was just like a person in LA. It's like a blacksmith's apprenticeship. Exactly. Yeah. It, they were like, well, you're in art school anyway. So just drop out for nine months and see oh, what okay. happens. Uh, it doesn't sound as stressful. No, it was, it was actually really cool. And like, I, it was cool because there was a group of people here. They were like, five of us doing this for nine months and like mm-hmm. we were like alone in LA together and it was like fun and like I like had this solid group of people okay. in my life that was a constant and uh I was doing well at these internships like mm-hmm. I knew I was well liked and again a roundabout way of how I yeah uh got to cracked and I started like learning how to produce and like really feeling like I was an adult and got the hang of yeah. life out here totally then I went back to Philadelphia in the winter um <laughs> And I was in LA for, you know, summer through spring, uh, the best time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was great. And then I went to Philadelphia in the winter and I saw, and this was in the middle of my junior year of college. And I saw the people I was interning with getting positions that I knew I would have gotten that were full time in companies. Uh, Uh, you were behind for taking the Exactly. And I was watching like these people get better. And I was like, everyone that respected me and that I met, uh, is going to forget about me. And I'm going to have to start at square, which didn't end up. Maybe I'm deluding myself, but I feel like, and by the way, good training for the industry. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Uh, they still respect you. They still love you. It doesn't mean they can do anything for you. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) but yeah, it was just like watching things happen and, you know, had like the normal, you know, school stressors. But then I was like, I made a huge mistake. I fucked up. Uh, I should have just stayed. I should have dropped out, which is not <sighs> true because it I mean, the some news Patreon's doing so good. It's so good. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and that means we're bad people. You realize yeah. that? Oh, right? yeah. yeah. And then that was definitely added on to that. No, I was we're like, happy for them. But like also that means we've failed. Right. Well, that was also <laughs> another part of it because I am also like very, I feel like anyone with anxiety or you know issues like that it's just like self-aware to a fault where they're like i'm doing this i'm aware i'm doing this and that makes me a bad person and that makes everything worse because and no i'm not always morally bad but like faulty like yeah yeah, i should be stronger Uh, yeah i should be i should be a better yeah just like all around a better person or whatever you subscribe to like more faithful or more right present or whatever yeah just like have a stronger moral code and like whatever so that was adding and then it was like all the college bullshit that you know everyone goes through and then just the stress because I was getting farther in college and I was like well I'm gonna have to move back out to LA what am I just gonna like go out there and be like hey I've been gone for almost a year and it's been another year but remember me I'm gonna have to start at square one and it was like a lot Mm -hmm. of that cycling and then uh film school towards the end gets very competitive uh Mm -hmm. 
to some ex- like who's project is the best and like who's Haven't doing been. the most and, heard yeah. it's expensive and it, not oh, that great oh i mean <laughs> i'll never regret it because again my experiences being able to go on co-op and then yeah led to me having a job totally nor right do a and animal both went to usc film yeah. school but i feel like it's the s- well i went to undergrad and they're just stupid so sure <laughs> it's the same as college where you like yeah in especially in the age of the internet yeah if you're in, if you're oh, actually yeah. genuinely curious about learning or even if it's boring, you right. want to learn a skill because you need you want that job. You can do it yourself. <laughs> I know. And that was so college is just a place where it's like Tinder, but right. non-sexual. It's just a place to meet the people who happen to like and have the same ambitions right. you do and form connections. Right. And they're like, I'll never regret film school because I got to see like Ryan Coogler, right. one of many people, yeah. you know, like blossom and learn from him and get to know him and people in his universe. And who knows right. if that could help me out or even it was just cool to learn from them. Um, but no, the teachers just showed us movies and we talked about them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, and also for me, it gave me a safe place to like fail kind sure. of. Sure. Yeah. Uh, like, I wrote a bunch of stuff that was shitty. Uh, and at the time for a freshman in college, mm-hmm. people were like, this is great. And it was encouraging. And now like two years later, even while I was in college, I looked back and I was like, no, that wasn't good. But I was encouraged to do more and then get better. And like, I didn't have to embarrass myself. But that shows you how much better you've gotten. Right. Exactly. I'm gratified when I look at something from 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh God, that's exactly. garbage. Well, yeah. yeah. When I look at it as garbage and I was like, oh, but people were smart enough to tell me like, hey, for you, that's for, you know, as... 18 year old kid that wrote this that was great and then yeah. I can go it just like but I it's said, cool that your writer's eye develops to the point where you're right. like even on your own stuff that's wrong that's wrong I right. could do this better oh yeah. wow I'm much better than I was yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly uh but yeah for me it just gave me a safe place to like try things and fail mm-hmm. and like learn stuff so I'll never forget the, regret that and then yeah I was able to Ultimately, all my panic was moot because I was able to get a job right out of college, which I was very lucky. But that whole period leading up to that was just like me freaking out. <laughs> well, we're all laid off, as I yeah. think is public knowledge. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm very blessed and grateful to have small beans going to yeah. pay the rent. Um, while I, I mean, I'm not going to hide from the audience. Right. Still look for other bigger right. jobs like of course. film deals and shit, but small beans. I mean, is, you have to. That's. <laughs> I love doing it and right. it pays the bills and I'm very lucky for that. So at the risk of yeah. causing tension between us. Yeah. Uh, has the panic increased since you haven't had it, a job or what's your situation right it now? Did, there was when the layoff happened, there was, yeah, it was a real dark period and it was, I think... Not the first time, but one of the few times uh, my anxiety is almost, uh, has interacted with depression. Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't say I have depression, but, you know, I've had experiences with it. And that was certainly one of the times where that happened. And I, it came back uh, worse than at the worst point in college oh at that time. Because okay. uh, I was just like, there was a lot of imposter syndrome growing on where I was like, uh, someone I knew gave me this kid at a college job and I just, you know, I had, luck, yeah, I was like, but I'm not I, really going to make it right. Yeah. I was like, I had, uh, two and a half years of incredible luck. Uh, and now that's run out and now I'm actually square one and I'm going to have to start, you know, PA again and start from uh-huh. the bottom and like completely backtrack my life. 
if it's any consolation, that can feeling yeah. can persist for ten years. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I was a crack for nine. I've been like roughly in Hollywood for right. eleven now. Right. And I feel like uh, I have forged this bond with the audience that translates into enough money to pay rent. And that's amazing. Yeah. that. Yeah. But I in no way think that I'm like in or have the respect no, of yeah. the real industry or anything. Like Jack O'Brien yeah. saw that I was funny and he's a cool guy and he hired right. me straight out of college. But he's just a guy who thought I was funny. Right. I have no faith that I'll ever again be hired to do anything, quote unquote, real in yeah. any way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was <laughs> definitely the situation for a while. And then I started getting freelance jobs as a producer. Mm. Uh, well, actually, yeah. Thank you. Golf clap. Golf clap. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I started get. I mean, I, it was with uh, one company. Sure. Uh but I was like, okay, at least when I'm working and I have steady work, I can push that aside. But what and just... do we want to not have anxiety? Do you want like everyone in the industry to come and be like, we approve? Of oh you. my god, no, <laughs> that would be that would give me more anxiety. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> You'd be like, this is a crowd right now. I don't want you all. Why yeah. are you all in my house? Harvey's uh, getting a little close. Right. <laughs> everyone, get out of my apartment. It's too small. Uh, no, I think I also I was when i got laid off uh i i was what i am one of the younger people in the cracked community mm -hmm. uh so it's like i was a 24 year old kid and i was like who is gonna hire a fucking 24 year old as a producer uh oh that's interesting yeah because i have the opposite where i'm like you're already 33 you should give up or like you yeah. don't have a movie under your belt by now that's in theaters you're 33, yeah. dude. Do you realize how old that is in Hollywood? Oh, it's over, man. Yeah, my imposter syndrome <laughs> yeah. works the other way. I'm like, you fluked your way into a producer, writer, whatever position at Crack, <laughs> uh, some nebulous position at Crack, whatever I was doing. Uh, that felt important to me. <laughs> I felt like I made things happen yeah, there. Everyone thinks you're 17 yeah. and you yeah. don't give a shit. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I remember the first time I, when I first started at Crack, we had like a happy hour and Cody was like, she allowed to drink or are we being cool right now and letting this kid drink and i was like no i'm 20 i was 22 at the time you're like um, i'm also allowed to be funny yeah and part of the creative team right yeah I, well, it took me a while to do, like get the legs to do that but uh oh I was it like, took all of us a while uh, yeah i uh, think i don't know if you've talked in like a vulnerable place or in no. depth with cody but and longtime fans yeah. of the site know this uh Dan and I got like easy ins because yeah. we started, we were yeah. the first faces you saw on right. video and people were like, Oh, I like cracked. I like these guys. Everyone fucking hates change. Yeah. Oh, so we we're lucky yeah. that we were the standard. Cody was the first person to come in and was like, who yeah. people hadn't seen before two and a half to three years of 90% yeah. people going like, who the fuck are you? Kill yourself. Why are you here? Oh yeah. And we're like, we thought we were allowed to add new people. You want only two people? Like people what the fuck is that? We're the worst. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I remember that. And I, I, well, when I got there, it was Alex. Alex Schmitty was a new guy. And he endured and it. It did shorten. Like he endured it for like eight months. Right. Cody had for like a solid two years. Yeah. At least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, with whenever I started getting on camera, people were nicer to me to some okay. extent. I mean, maybe you're better than everyone. No, I think people <laughs> recognized that I was like young and probably very vulnerable. 
Okay, which, that's imposter syndrome. That yeah. People, strangers online don't give a shit about your feelings, and I say that as a compliment yeah. because that means the good response was because you're good. The good ones, and then the other ones were like horribly sexist and anti-Semitic. So that was like half of it, but wow. none of it was like you know, new kid get off. It was all like Look, either like, hey, I like yeah. this new girl, or like stuff I don't want to have to repeat. If you don't want that shit, <laughs> don't yeah. Grow a dick or change society completely. Yeah. Is that that difficult? Uh, I don't know what your problem is. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what, uh, but I expected that. By the time that happened, I was like, okay, that's gonna happen. Uh, yeah, but don't put up with that shit. Uh, <laughs> Small beans official stances. Fuck assholes on the internet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, yeah. So when cracked, like <laughs> to get back on topic, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, when cracked dispersed, that was a hard period because also I was like, I have been working for two and a half years. I don't have an, any money saved. Like this is gonna be a big problem. And that was, you know, there was money panic. There was yeah. imposter syndrome and like, will I ever get a job again? Panic. Uh, then I started getting hired for jobs, and it, it definitely got better from there. And now I'm career wise. I really wanted to jump out of, uh, uh, and I mean this in uh, in a way that we all probably feel about digital content. You know, you want to make longer stuff for not YouTube. Uh, we all recognize that eventually everything will just be screen. You want right. to watch screen? Exactly. So, like, it's not that internet's cheaper. Or like, no. Netflix is making all the best shit. Right. But we don't want to. Right. It's, it's we, not- we can show off in three to five minutes. Right. But we've it's done not it the story. Yeah, it's not. We want to st- write a ninety right. minute to a series. It's not you know? why you're putting yourself through all this bullshit. Right. Uh, Everyone to- dreamed of creating characters that can breathe for hours and hours. Right, yeah. and that like people can <laughs> attach you. And like certainly there was some of that at cracked uh, for you guys. But uh, <laughs> for you guys, for you Sorry. guys, and like yeah, I lucky. mean, I I didn't. I'm not that I don't want to do that. Like, Crack Studios was delightful. Crack Studios was delightful. Yeah, uh, I loved working on those and stuff because those were the characters. But yeah, like sketch. I love it. I do genuinely love it. But like, that's not why, again, I'm putting myself through Agreed. all of this. Um, and that's also like, though, I was making sketches again. And and I was like, well, you made a lateral move. So yep. good fucking job, Bridget. And there is some of that that still We can't lingers. afford to rent cameras. So we're right. a podcasting network. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean. What it, are we supposed to think? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> fuck you guys. <laughs> no, no, no. You're great. You're great. No. Um, but money is money and straight money, up and it's hard uh people underestimate that's why our new series is all shot on webcam yeah to make like welcome back potter if you count the people's salaries who also worked on right. it it's like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. yeah no i did the budgets for the, yeah. crack studios i the eight grand know. A month yeah. we're getting is so amazing and oh, makes yeah. it so i have a roof over my head yeah it doesn't pay for cracked level sketches and shit oh absolutely no. not uh <laughs> i can tell you that off the top of my head because i was yeah. doing those budgets it does not uh and i am intimately yeah, making <laughs> making movies is hard and it feels stupid Costs complaining about it because it's also kind of dumb but it's, it's what all, i love doing i saw ready player one on the plane back from belize and i was like could you imagine if you saw like the whole evolutionary timeline of the earth that the species would evolve and they develop all this technology and money that's truly miraculous yeah we just stack silicon atoms together and we're like it creates an image on a screen connected to software and hardware that does that's insane it's insane communicates with satellites we were literally monkey people stacking rocks and then like, what if we did this? What if we did that? 2,000 years later, we have yeah. a fucking computer. 
but we use it to make Ready Player One. What the fuck is wrong with us? That uh, yeah, to speak about stupid panic attacks. That blossomed in my brain on right. the plane. Yeah. No, but to speak to like stupid like panicky anxiety inducing moments I had. I remember seeing one of the bad hunger the third hunger game sure uh and i was in theaters and this was uh again i am a young person uh and i was in college uh <laughs> during this time and i took my binky out my I mouth t- yeah. and i was like wow yeah exactly i just every time because also it was like kind of a running joke in the office at crack that like i was i can't because we would make references to movies and i would i brought it on myself and i would just whisper like we'd be talking about jurassic park and i'd just be like I was born that year. Uh, I, the last three years, I was a secret alcoholic who never came into the office. So you might be surprised to know, not up on the in-jokes. No, yeah, that's (laughs) why I explained, yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah. I Um, never knew that or participated in that. Right, yeah, it was was just, it was like a... I would swear you're not a day under 41, but that's just me, I don't know. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you so much for that. but uh, yeah, so I was watching Hunger Games and, I was, and the opening of that movie is just like insane. And it was like, this is a bad movie and they spent so much money. What would I do with that money? How would I make that movie? Uh, yeah. it, and like just trying to wrap my head around how much just like the first 30 seconds of Hunger Games cost was like, fuck everything. And how much $200 million actually represents in um, human effort that produced the resources of society that allow us to have 200 extra million dollars to fuck around. Yeah. Like that goes all the way back to people like hoeing fields and planting shit. Like that's where that luxury came from. I know. And you make, and you make whatever the fuck. It it makes (laughs) me, it makes me so angry when I see bad high budget movies. Oh my Um, God. Low budget's fine. I'm like, fine. Your parents paid for this. That's fine. That's, (laughs) it's totally fine. But like make something that at least like, even if it's not good, just says something about your, you or like your worldview or something you feel is important. Yeah. Uh, And that's why I, every time I think about that and have like anxiety about like, what am I, do? I could have be you a, had a panic attack about the low quality of no. art in your life. No, but it's something, I, it's, it's something I think about a lot. Causes and, anxiety, yeah. but not a full blown. Right. Yeah. Well, it's more in that, like, what the fuck am I doing yep. with my life? Like, but I don't think you need to be like a writer producer performer no, no, to watch to a movie that. and be like what the fuck are we doing yeah there's movies it's out more there, yeah. yeah it's more it's more of a catalyst to me spiraling <laughs> totally, yeah. uh than it is actually about that but uh yeah you just gotta think like well it started because people have always needed to tell stories and we Ro- just yeah marvel got- movies are the same as the roman gods i get that right yeah, yeah. <laughs> like people just have wanted to tell stories to each other and that's a basic human need and then we just got technology that made it better uh, and us better doing that, we could use that resource to do other things, but you know, I do feel that the technology has gotten to a point where, and hopefully this will pass because yeah. like our shock with how good shit yeah. looks will pass. Yeah. Um, there's like a whole slew of movies that I consider leaning so hard on. It looks so good. You don't notice that you've oh. seen it a million times. Yeah. The Revenant's the most beautiful movie I've ever seen. About a guy who gets vengeance by killing dudes who killed someone he loves. Like what? Yeah. Um, we watched Mandy last night. I was so excited from the trailer and it looks gorgeous. Right. Just like Drive did. And both of them 
are amazingly beautiful movies about a dude who sees someone he loves gets killed and kills everyone who was involved. Oh, every story. What the fuck is like? Well, is rem- that all we have to say about life? I remember in film school when. Uh, when one of our writing teachers was like there are three kinds of stories and told us three kinds and i was like that can't be it there's got to be something else or let's keep trying right i was like like people there's the thing that everyone always says of like you know there's no original ideas anymore and that will drive me crazy in my Mm. brain just like digging for something like we just got to try harder especially because (laughs) in human history we have the fastest rate of change of any species or culture uh there's new shit that will come into existence you couldn't have imagined existed. Right. Don't you think that will pose new ideas? Like, do you think, okay, well, Jane Eyre basically wrote the book on everything. We don't have to discuss whether artificial life uh, has a soul or should be given legal right. rights. Yeah, we do, because that wasn't an issue anyone thought right. of before. Yeah. But that's why they're... That's why they're right, and I feel like, uh, you know, you have your thing with Vonnegut, and I, I love him too. He uh, says there's seven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there are people like him and filmmakers who are certainly doing that now that are like digging at ideas that we have not talked about. And that's what makes a movie better to me. And this is going to make me. I've been yelled <laughs> at so much about Marvel. Uh, and this is going to make the small beans audience mad. Uh, but what drives me crazy about Marvel movies and that uh-huh. whole scheme. I think the most impressive thing about that will always be the marketing scheme behind it. More so than the movie, it is a two-hour commercial. Oh, yeah, because you see uh, DC and Universal trying to copy with the Dark Universe, and you're like, it's just a marketing marketing. thing, and you're not doing it right. They nailed it. Yeah, (laughs) I'm like, every time I look around the theater, I'm like, this is just a marketing scheme that we're all falling for. You're all wearing shirts and costumes. How much did you spend on that? Like, we all fell for a marketing scheme. This movie says they could have been made, barring technology, uh, at, at those stories could have been made at any time, and they would have barring been, technology is everything. Is that, That's yeah, my point about why right. they have nothing to say. Yeah, but. It looks You're cool. like, well, yeah, it objectively looks like everyone right. did a good job who's involved in how good it fucking looks. Well, that what drives me crazy <laughs> is I'm like, okay, when people look back at the pop culture of this generation, mm. those are going to be the standouts. They're like, this generation was the Marvel superhero. That's what I was like, how amazing would Drive have been if it was about anything at oh, all? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, well, it drives me crazy because it's like, those stories say nothing about <laughs> yeah. where we are as a society or people really their their truisms that have exist throughout time Gen- that and, about- and the history of film it feels like yeah. so many movies now are saying do you remember how in the course of film history there's been at least 50 movies like this right here's the best looking one ever fine but it's still the same as a right. thing i've seen 50 times right and it just drives me crazy <laughs> that that's gonna define our generation we're the reference of, generation yeah right. of pop culture and i'm like well that we got to be more than that because that says <laughs> nothing about this time period yeah. that is extremely fraught and nuanced that and no one ex- no. like we think 80s fashion looks corny but at least you an image comes to mind of right. anything yeah ours it's, is just a mash of I'm everything that came before years, they'll be like Remember the 2000s when they were remembering the 90s, 80s, and 70s? Well, if <laughs> yeah. you look back at the early 2000s, some of my favorite Instagram accounts are like fashion of the early 2000s, and it's just a train wreck of people wearing belt uh, ties as belts. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, and I never, I never uh, stopped doing that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And just, belts as ties, but that's for autoerotic <laughs> pleasure. Yeah. Uh, all right, we're closing in on an hour, so I want to ask yeah. a few more on topic questions. Yeah, I feel like we've gotten away. Oh, we could do a part two easily. Yeah. Um, but I do want to ask, because I know a big, well, I say, I deem it so. Yeah. <laughs> a big part of this show is the normalization of these aspects, and I yeah. hope people out there feel heard or connected to. Um, in my experience with panic attacks, which involve hyperventilating and hitting myself in the head compulsively. Yeah. Those are my main symptoms. Uh, the uh, medicine has really helped. Yes. Uh, I was on Ativan as a child after the car accident where I had brain damage, which yeah. fans of the show will have heard about several times or referenced, yeah. um, which is where my panic attacks and depression really started. Yeah. I think I'm genetically prone to depression have issues in life that are that can trigger depression right. and had a brain injury that right. actually triggered <laughs> it. Um, but it's that thing where it's like, you probably would have become depressed at some point, but the right. moved up the timetable. Uh, I was on Ativan for a long time and that helped in a really acute way. Yeah. And then uh, after, while you're freshly recovering alcoholic, yeah. Ativan is no good. It's like oh, okay. a cross. It's not recommended. Yeah. It can trigger cravings. Um, so currently I, I've, been on Prozac for a long time, but that's just targets depression. Yeah. And I'm trying various things and it's a tough journey. Like yeah. I tried Cymbalta, this, the, I won't go into every detail, right. even though some are hilarious, but like <laughs> the side effects are too much to deal with. Right. I tried, oh, the side uh, effects for those things are well, Beatrin, the side effects are too much to deal with, yeah. including like vivid hours long, lucid nightmares of people scraping yeah. the flesh from my face and shit. And I'm like, that's why not- is that happening? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've had, some weird um so now i'm trying zoloft and i can't endorse or deny but also everyone reacts differently to these yeah. things so mood medication can often be a crapshoot and a journey yeah. um and i'm trying to e- ease off that and i'm not saying this is right for you either listener right. but and ease more onto meditation practice and stuff like that who knows right. if that'll work what's been your experience and what do you think right now um <laughs> it is a yeah i <laughs> It's scary saying this because, again, it's different for everyone and different things. And I, I really don't like when people who are like, "No, you don't need medication," because some people do, and it has helped me a lot. It, uh, I need to actually switch because what I I take Lexapro, mm-hmm. and uh, at some point that causes a plateau effect in your brain, as most of these medications do. Oh, I um, see. Like it yeah. releases, uh, you know, serotonin, dopamine. And yeah. all that stuff that your brain, when you have these problems, doesn't naturally do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at some point, your brain gets used to that amount, and then you slide back, which is something I've been dealing with currently. Okay. Um, Crushing and yeah. snorting it, I think, is Cru- the next yeah, logical yeah, 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 step. Yeah. I have thought about it. Uh, and that is an official endorsement and recommendation that, from Yeah, me, no, that Michael is scientifically yeah. proven. Uh, yeah, so I have been scared to try that because... I was like Lexapro was the first thing given to me when I first started taking medication in college and it worked great. Had some weird side effects. Like I could not stop yawning. Oh, interesting. it was really strange. And I like looked that up and it wasn't even a tired thing, but just every like 30 seconds I would yawn. And other people are like, yeah, that happens. Yeah. And I was like a college <laughs> senior too. And then, so like I would go to a party and drink and then be like, mm-hmm. I gotta go throw that up right now. Oh, interesting. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but that only lasts a while. Now I'm great. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so yeah, I am, I have to, I'm in the process of having to wean off of that to try to start something new. 
and good that, luck to you yeah weaning off is also because i don't like if you for me with lexapro if i just like forgot to take the medication for a couple days or when i switched insurers and like had a yeah. weird gap in like there was like a week or two where i just like needed the pharmacy to catch up it was the weirdest week of my life right. like you the withdrawal effects are like it feels like your body has jumped three <laughs> feet ahead of you and your brain needs to catch up when you're walking. I've also never had any mood medication that doesn't have some side effects. Yeah. Some are very mild and yeah. okay. But, um, and everyone affects everyone differently. We can't underline that enough. Yeah. So yeah, if you're just like, if you really need it, please get the help right. and strength to you because yeah. you might have to go through four and the first three yeah. might give you like, sweat neck and stink foot like yeah. it's, you don't <laughs> it's know what it's so gonna cause weird. Yeah. yeah well yeah my mom took cymbalta and started getting like the feeling of electrical shocks in her brain it's cool because yeah. she looked it up and a lot of people were like oh yeah 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 when you look at the symptoms yeah. yeah when i looked up like why am i yawning and like throwing up foam yeah. just like, fo- like i was like, like what is this in my body uh, oh yeah you'll get some foam yeah <laughs> <That> <laughs> makes sense yeah uh but yeah it, it it helped take the edge off and then Honestly, that I mean, for me, if I medication helps subside some of the biggest, most aggressive symptoms, but mm-hmm. the like ever present feeling of anxiety of just like some this, like a little person in my body just like running back and <laughs> forth of like what's happening, what are you doing, what's going on? Uh, Eddie Murphy as Dave. Right? Yeah, exactly that <laughs> movie that we all remember fondly. Everyone uh, loves that. Yeah. Movie. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that did not go away until, you know, you. I try to meditate and then like having that feeling of just, you know, finding little, the tiny things that work for you, whether it's therapy, which I only recently started going to, it's so, um, which is great. I have faith that meditation does work. Yeah. If I'm ever able to actually oh, do it. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. And then, yeah, the, the medication helps, you know take the, like I said take the big things away and then again it's just a little things that work for you like if I'm feeling extremely stressed uh find like really think about the target of it list out what I need to do to yeah. get through that stage and just like the little routines that you can make for yourself to get yourself to try to calm yourself down and but it's kind of trial and error to figure out what they it are is. yeah uh, yeah and for me so don't give up so don't give up yeah you need to like figure it out i have like eight instruments in my room that figure i can out what ha- your self-soothing yeah. thing is though. yeah i have eight instruments in my room that i can half play because nice. of anxiety and like i bet that helps yeah, yeah. i have uh, bongos now for that yeah yeah it's just it's some doing something tactile like it is a big part of the reason why i'm active i learned to uh, rap to combat anxiety yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> yeah so like i have journals where it's just stream of consciousness like right out because that was easier than yeah right it's just like whatever my hand is doing uh is writing is fine yeah uh that i'll throw away after and it's another part of the reason why like i'm active a lot and that, that became the script for all of after right hours. that is all after hours that's how most screenplays I her feel like eyes I rolled back in her head and she just wrote we've the, never <laughs> revealed this before but it was yeah, all that, that was my process uh uh but yeah, no, that's like, I think also part of my anxiety, I think, stemmed from uh, routines. And when I was an athlete in high school, mm-hmm. I had a very berating coach ah. um, who stressed me out a lot. <laughs> uh, but through that, 
that I started like going to gyms and stuff when I was 14 because of that. And that is a thing that is now in my head of like, well, you have to do that to be well, better. <laughs> it's okay to be ambitious. I hope. Yeah. Oh <laughs> but, yeah, yes. <laughs> but yeah, it, you start associating with, Oh, is the only, like, especially if you're someone who right. is succeeding on the whole, right. you're like, is it because I berate myself so much? I can't let go to that. Maybe that's my secret weapon. Right. Maybe I need the coach in my head telling me I piece of shit. And if I let myself be okay, this will all fall apart. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I needed to, yeah, it took me a long time and I'm, I, it's something I still struggle with is like negative reinforcement, not being mm-hmm. a driving force of why right. I'm doing stuff. Cause no one really, no one outside in my life anymore besides since that coach has gone away has d- sat over me and told me I'm a piece of shit yeah uh that fucks so up like, everything so why should I but, try right no. <laughs> now now it's just me who does that yeah uh but when I'm able to do something active that goes away a little bit because it is like oh I'm doing something to better myself yeah. and make myself better uh so yeah. that has always helped me and like yeah I should try that I should try bettering myself <laughs> for the first time yeah, no, it's, nah. no, it's so hard. It sucks. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that has helped. And then also, but there is the backslide of like, but when I don't do that, if I like can't go to the gym for two days because life gets busy and I have to do laundry or something yeah. and like cook a meal, then I'm like, right. oh no, I'm a piece of shit. I haven't worked it out in two days. It is a struggle. Yeah. It's always going to be a struggle, but yeah. over time you learn things and you do get a handle on right. it. Right. It's Yeah, they're the big obvious things that can help you and they do help like medication, right. like therapy that I, you know, if you need it, therapy, mm-hmm. I, probably everybody medication. It's a luxury. Like it's a privilege yeah. to have if you can afford it. It's exactly. Great. It's yeah. great. Uh, <laughs> if you can do it. It's like going to the spa. Yeah. yeah. If you can do it. Yeah. Talk about yourself with someone oh, for an hour. <laughs> but there's some shitty therapists, which I always have oh. to say when that comes up. Yeah. Yeah. Like I also treat it like you can go to a spa and someone can give you a crappy massage. Yeah. You can go to a mechanic <laughs> oh, okay. and they're not good. Doctors often you have to find yeah. try a couple try a couple therapists. Yeah, <laughs> that was the thing because I be a good fit. I just started going to therapy and I was like I don't know if this person's good or not. Like mm-hmm. it took me a well, while to figure out. I'm yeah. not saying they aren't, but like right. be aware that there are therapists with many different styles and it's almost like right. a date. Like oh, if yeah. you're not a match, you can just say I don't think this is working for me and right. try a different one. I yeah. wish there was speed dating for therapists. Yeah. Like you just. I would love like a 10 minute sample yeah. of five therapists and then you pick one. And right. Go yeah. Ahead. Just that go in a great. hotel, you know, ballroom somewhere. So and just, uh, yeah. Would be great. Not but. all in one room though. That could trigger your panic. Yeah. How am I? I got to ask, have you ever attended San Diego Comic Con? No, I didn't. You uh, would love it. Would no, I? Just, no. <laughs> I was, it's the most intense crowd I've ever existed. Yeah. It's an intense now. crowd all celebrating the marketing scheme. And I've been to Coachella. Me. Comic-Con is worse, much than worse. Than Coachella? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, I, can, um, I, I don't think you could pay me to go to Comic-Con. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have many more questions, but we're well over our time yeah. now. So <laughs> maybe we'll do a part two. Who yeah. knows? But thank you so much for being here. Of course. Please plug rough stuff again because I benefit directly from that. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> let people know where they can find you and what you're up to. Yeah, I mean, if you're on this channel, check out the other awesome podcasts, uh, one of which is Rough Stuff that I host with my friend Sarah Griffith. We invite comedians on, and they tell us embarrassing stories, and it's not undifferent from this. Uh, it's Even like, we kept it light. We did keep it light. I always just embrace whatever natural any energy right. comes, and we happen to be funny today. Good for us. Cool. <laughs> but like... Uh, I would say rough stuff's even light. Yeah. No one asks you like, like Tom, you shit your pants on the street. 
what medication did you take to right, deal with that yeah, trauma? We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just hardcore. You want embarrassing shit? Here yeah. you go. Which I guess some of the guests like I know personally. Right. And then I'm like, all right, you got to get around this one. <laughs> like, And you hear things yeah. you probably you're like, I've known you so long. I never yeah, knew I that. Never knew that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's just fun childhood uh, embarrassing stories that we all, you know, hold on to and have. Uh. It's uh, maybe the most entertaining show we I also, have. Yeah. So it's, it's just pure, <laughs> thank you. pure comedy. I love it. Yeah. I also think that's me holding on to all those stories is part of anxiety that I can intimately know every embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. I did think you and Sarah would run out quickly, but you always seem to have a new one I've never heard for the beginning where uh, you have to reel one off. Yeah. I, it, <laughs> I mean, we've been digging certainly like but. do you suck are you a doofus or something <laughs> that i'm not aware of <laughs> i think I, I think i don't think anything is that out of the ordinary i just think i hold on to them because of anxiety that i intimately everything remember. you said i probably did and forgot yeah ex- yeah, <laughs> yeah i don't think anything's like that you know specific to me that i say right. it's just that i've held on to every single one because i think about them con- all the ways i fucked up constantly and that's why you're the perfect host for that show right. and on suicide watch <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah uh no but rough stuff is a lot of fun uh i appreciate this network for hosting it and this was great and you can find me on twitter at bridget tweets and also rough stuff podcast on at rough stuff pod on the social medias you know them. That's all the followables. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>